Oh God, we always come on Sunday mornings hungry for a word from you. Would you open up our hearts and our minds that we might receive what you have to say this morning? Speak, O oh Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Well, good morning again. Man, it's, it's so great to be back with you guys. I was gone for a couple weeks. Last week, I was up at Covenant Point uh, with about nine other men from our church. And guys, we had a great time. We really bonded. We, we shot some skeet. We had a grilled steak dinner. Uh, we played some broom ball, which we ended up losing. Uh, but uh, <laughs> we had a great time. We really bonded, didn't we, Luke? We had a good time. And guys, there, there is no substitute for time in building quality relationships with God and others. There's just no substitute for time. And uh, it was just so valuable, valuable to me for the guys to spend that time together, and uh, it was just great. Uh, but today, I'm excited to be back because we begin our Lenten sermon series called The Cross of Christ. And uh, the title of the sermon series comes uh, from a book by John Stott, which I, I, I recommend to you. And a lot of my thinking is influenced by Mr. Stott, a great theologian, scholar, and pastor. Uh, but for the weeks leading up to Easter, we're going to be diving deep into the central symbol of the Christian faith. And I believe understanding the cross, why it matters, its significance, and what did Jesus actually accomplish on the cross. Understanding all of those things and all of their richness is one of the most important things to understand and meditate upon in the Christian life. And I think for many of us, we've been told too narrow of a story about the cross. We've been told a too narrow of the story that we don't see its vastness, its richness, and its complexity, and to appreciate it for what it actually is. And so that's why we're spending a whole sermon series dedicated to talking about the cross and what it means for us today. And the cross has always been central to the church. It's been the central symbol of the church for many centuries. And I think you can tell a lot about an organization by their central symbol or their logo, perhaps. I've got a couple for you this morning. Uh, so Covenant Point, that's where we just were. Uh, what can you learn about Covenant Point just from this symbol? Anybody want to take a stab? It's in the woods. Yes, there's a lot of evergreen trees, and it's up there. What, what else can you learn about Covenant Point? Points to God. Okay, there you go. That's good. Uh, anything else? Rustic. It's a camp, uh, camping outdoors. Uh, like the Bible. The Bible's very important. It's in the name, so they, they teach the Word of God there. So we learn a couple things. All right, let's go to the next one. Who knows what this is? Instagram. So I think what's, what's cool about the Instagram logo is because there, there's so many social media apps and things out there, but Instagram, it's, it's a picture of a camera. Because Instagram is all about the, the pictures and the video, the visual, and that's what separates it from the other social media things that are out there. All right, so we have this. So the cross became the central symbol of the logo, uh, but there could have been other options, right? They could have chose some other things. In the, in the Apostles' board meeting, they could have been voting on some uh, different logos. What's that? Uh, yeah, that's right. So let's look at some options. All right, so maybe, uh, I don't know who drew this, whoever drew this. I mean, I don't know about that. their skills here. But uh, this could have been the manger. You know, we celebrate the Christmas every year. We could have, could have chose that one, but that one got shot down in the board meeting. All right, let's go to the next one. Could have been uh, maybe a hand, I'm thinking like a healing hand, like Jesus is healing and is teaching and kind of how he served people and loved people. Could have been something like this. Uh, now, empty tomb. I think that could have been a great symbol for the Christian faith. I mean, without, without the resurrection, our faith is useless, right? That's really important. All right, that could have been one. Uh, it could have been the, a dove with fire, like the Holy Spirit. That's a very important thing in the Christian life. And uh, it also could have been maybe the Bible, the Word of God. That's very important. Now, could these all could have been options in it. And it could have also been this. 
Jesus is our friend, right? The covenant, we're friends with God. You know, all those things. It could have been that. Well, we chose none of those things. That, that was not any of the logos that were voted upon. No, it came to be the cross. It came to be the cross. And the, the question I want to answer is, why? Why did the cross become the central symbol of the Christian faith? It could have been many other things. Why did it become the central symbol? I'm going to give you three answers. And the first is this. The cross is central to Jesus' identity and his mission. The cross is central to his identity and his mission. And the, the Gospel of Mark says this, Mark 8, uh, 31 through 32, it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. If you're in the Covenant Challenge, you're reading through all four of the Gospels leading up to Easter, and you'll quickly realize how often Jesus talked about the necessity of his death, that this is something that's going to happen and that it must happen. This was a major part of why he had come. And in the book of John, uh, there's this theme about the, the hour into it for, which, for which Jesus came into the world. And, the, and, he's, and he's praying and he's thinking ab uh, about this hour that is coming. And look what he says in John 12, 27. He says, now my soul is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. He's talking about the cross. He's talking about the cross. And beforehand, if you remember in the Gospel of John, John makes several re re uh, references to this hour. And if you remember, Jesus, he initially uh, resists his mother's request to turn water into wine. Why? Because my hour had not yet come. And now the hour is finally here. The hour for which Jesus came into the world is finally here to go to the cross. And I love how John Stott puts it. He says it this way. The paradox John records can hardly have been accidental. That the hour for which he had come into the world was the hour in which he left it. Wow. That's why Jesus came. See, God had laid out a plan and Jesus knew his identity and his, his role in that plan and he was determined to fulfill it. He was determined to do what was required of him, the purpose for which he came. You know, at the, at the men's retreat, uh, we got to play uh, this game called Forbidden Desert. Uh, Keith Drucker introduced it to me, and we played it for the first time. And uh, in the game, uh, basically what's happening is you're in this desert, uh, and you're stranded. And it's a cooperative game that you have to work together to try to save yourselves. Don, Don you played it with me, you, right? You remember Forbidden Desert? And you have to make sure you save your team and get out of the desert before the game ends. And at the start of the game, you're given a role to play. All different kinds of roles, things that you have to do. And one of the roles that you can get is the water carrier. It's a very important role. And that you have to make sure that everyone has enough water throughout the game so that you survive and you don't get killed by the desert. You see, the role that you have gave you unique abilities. And because of those abilities that you were given, you had a very unique role to play in order to make sure that you win the game and are, and are saved from this desert. You see, by the way, we won. Praise be to God. Uh, we got out of the desert just fine. We made it, people. We made it. But your role in the game determines your gameplay. It determines how you do. And Jesus, he enters the storm of history. A place that is broken, that is suffering, that is on its way to destruction and chaos. And he is given a very unique role to play. 
In fact, in God's ordained plan, the Holy Scriptures talked about all of these different things that the Messiah, that the Christ must do, that he must accomplish, that he must do for the salvation of humanity. In one of the biggest passages, we could point to a number of different passages, and we're going to be looking at them throughout the series, but one that I think Jesus and his closest followers pointed to, perhaps maybe the most often or up there, is Isaiah 53. Is Isaiah 53. That's the passage we read this morning. And Isaiah 53 describes the role of what's called the suffering servant. This servant would come into the world to suffer on behalf of the people in order to bring them to God. You know, some of the key players in scriptures, Paul, Peter, Matthew, Luke, and John, they all allude to Isaiah 53. And I believe they learned to do that from Jesus himself because he taught them how to see the Messiah in the scriptures. And so in the game of life, in the game of salvation, if you will, Jesus was given the suffering servant card. This is what you must do to save humanity. This is your role to play. So we need to know who was this suffering servant and what was he supposed to do? And I believe we can sum it up by saying the suffering servant is one who would suffer on behalf of the nation in order to bear their sins, reconcile them to God, and bring healing to their souls. I don't have this on the screen, so I'll say it one more time. The suffering servant is one who would suffer on behalf of the nation, on behalf of the people, in order to bear their sins, reconcile them to God, and bring healing to their souls. Let's look at the passage again itself, Isaiah 53, verses 4 through 6. Listen to Jesus' role. It says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You see, people in Jesus' day, they thought that people who got killed, who got executed like Jesus did, they thought that God was somehow punishing them. That they had done something wrong, that God was mad about it, and therefore they were under the judgment of God. But Isaiah reveals that this is not what is going on. He says, no, he was pierced for our trans transgressions. You thought he was under the judgment of God. No, he was bearing your sin, your guilt, your shame, all to take it away that you might be reconciled to God. And all because of this, our wayward hearts would be healed so that we can, be, like those sheep who have gone astray, we would be able to return to our loving Father. Jesus was handed the suffering servant card and it said, this is your role. This is your purpose. This is your mission. This is what you must fulfill. And Jesus, all along, he was determined to fulfill it. You read in the Gospel of Luke that Jesus, he set his face towards Jerusalem. That he was determined to get there. That he was going to fulfill his mission. And this is why Paul would say later that Jesus was obedient. Even unto death. Even death on a cross. Praise be to God that Jesus was faithful to his calling. That Jesus was faithful to his mission, to his identity. And that is why the cross became central to our faith because it was central to Jesus, to his identity, and to his mission. The second reason the cross became central to our faith is because it is central to the apostles' teaching. To the, very the apostles that Jesus commissioned. You know, if the cross is central to our faith, we should expect it. We should expect to find it at the center of what his earliest disciples, what his apostles taught. And we find this to be true. Biblical scholar 
Leon Morris, he says this. He says, the cross dominates the New Testament. It dominates it. It's the, it's the pervading thing over the whole New Testament. And a quick reading of the New Testament will confirm this to you. Again, we're reading the Gospels. The Gospels have a lot to say about Jesus, his life, his birth, uh, his teachings, his miracles, all that he did uh, in his resurrection. And we, and we better not separate right all of those things from the cross. It's all one story. Yet, at the same time, the majority of the narrative is dedicated to telling the story of Jesus' death, his betrayal by Judas, his arrest, his flogging, his scourging, his suffering, his pain, his carrying of the cross. The majority of the Gospels are dedicated to telling this story. Yes, indeed, the cross dominates the Gospels themselves. Then we go to the Apostle Paul and we see that he was also laser-focused on the cross because it was already at that time that Paul was planting churches and, pre and preaching the gospel, by the time he's doing this, it was already cemented at the center. The cross was already at the center by the time the apostle Paul was planting his churches. Look what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, For what I received, he received a tradition. I, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. What's most important? That Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. That he was buried that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. At the very beginning, at the very center, the tradition of the church, Christ died for our sins, and he was buried, and he rose again, all according to God's plan found in the scriptures. This is where the center is. And then Paul would go on to say, uh, uh, also to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, he says, I resolved to know nothing while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And that's a great model for ministry, isn't it? Now, certainly, Paul, he touches on many other subjects in his letters. That's not the only thing that he talked about. But when you read his letters, you see, yes, he is centered on the cross. That is the center out of which the gospel and all teaching comes, this message about the cross and Jesus dying on it for us. So we look at Paul. Well, what about Peter, the apostle Peter? Well, let's look at 1 Peter 2.24. says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Well, hold on a second. Did you guys catch that? Did you guys catch that? Did you, get, did you hear that resonance? You just heard that in Isaiah 53. Peter is quoting Isaiah 53 here. He's saying, no, this, this suffering servant who's meant to bear the sins, this is what Jesus was supposed to do. This was his role. This was his mission. He's holding up Jesus' death on the cross at the center. And he's quoting Isaiah 53 to do it. So we look at Peter. What about the Apostle John, that other beloved disciple? Let's look at 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. You know, John, he's all about love. He's all about love. And the primary symbol an example of love is what Jesus did for us on the cross. That is how we know what love is, is seeing Jesus' death for us on the cross. You know, I think it's unfortunate that the way some people tell the Christian story is they might think that, oh, well, God so hated the world that he gave his only son to, to make sure the punishment was taken care of so we, so we could be okay. But no, that's not what John says. He says, no, God so loved the world. He so loved the world. He dearly loves us. That he would come down as one of us and take upon our sins. That we might be reconciled to him. No, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
that whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. Praise God. So let me recap this point. The cross is central to the teachings of the apostles. And that has come down to us in the form of the New Testament. And we see that the cross, it dominates the Gospels themselves. It's at the center of the teaching of its three main, main pillars, the apostles Paul, Peter, and John. And we see it elsewhere in the, in the scriptures as well. So the third reason that the cross became the central symbol of our faith is that was, it was central in the church tradition. And what I mean by church is church, big C church, the global church, the worldwide church, the tradition of all the followers of Jesus throughout the centuries. And I'm only going to be brief on this point. Because the cross becomes central very early on. It becomes central uh, in Christian art. We see it depicted in the catacombs in Rome and other places. Um, and then very early on, uh, the making of the sign of the cross becomes very important to Christians. Uh, look what Tert Tertullian says. He thrived around AD 200. And he, write, he writes this. He says, At every forward step and movement, at every going in and out, when we put on our clothes and shoes, when we bathe, when we sit at a table, when we light the lamps, on the couch, on the seat, in all the ordinary actions of daily life, we trace upon the forehead the sign that is the cross. And he also says, we Christians wear out our foreheads with the sign of the cross. That's a lot of making the sign of the cross. That's a lot, isn't it? Whew. Glad we're not bound to tradition sometimes. But it points to that this was a very important thing to, uh, for the early Christians. There's been a tradition of making the seal, the sign of the cross on the forehead, Many of you received the sign of the cross this past Wednesday. On Ash Wednesday, you received the ashes upon your forehead in the symbol and sign of the cross. Uh, at at con uh, confirmation, confirmands will get the sign of the cross on their foreheads. Uh, at baptism, people would be sealed with the sign of the cross, even for, for infants as well. And crosses, they're often put on the tombstones of Christians who have died. And again, John Stott, I love how he puts it. He's so great. He says, thus from Christian birth to Christian death, the church seeks to identify and protect us with the cross. From beginning to end, our life is centered upon the cross of Jesus Christ. So why did the cross become central to our faith? It became central because it was central to Jesus' own identity and mission. It was central to the apostles' teaching, and it's been central in the tradition of the church. So what does that mean for us? What do we do with this? How do we keep the cross at the center? I want to spend some time in application. The first thing that we need to do is that we need to keep the cross central to our message. We must keep the cross at the center. Over the years in the Christian life, friends, you ought to expect to hear the same thing over and over again. You shouldn't expect this message to change too often. We have, we have the core message to pass on, and it doesn't change. And the times require us to have courage, to not water down, to not twist the message, to not make it more comfortable or palatable to the culture around us. No, we must keep it the same. In 1937, a famous theologian, Reinhold Niebuhr, was, was writing about the, a church, wrote a ton of books, and uh, you might know his brother, H. Richard Niebuhr, for writing a, a Christ and Culture, and, but Reinhold was a theologian in his own right, and he was distressed about the way some of his uh, um, colleagues were going, things that they were writing, things that they were saying. There was kind of a tribe of other seminaries and, and theologians who were kind of changing the message changing the message of Christianity. And he tried to sum it up, and I think he summed it up uh, very well. And he said this, is, this was their message. He says, A God without wrath brought men without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. He says this is how they were changing the message. That's 1937. 
And this is still happening today. It's still happening today. See, friends, without the cross, there is no Christianity. Without the cross, there is no salvation for sin. Without the cross, there is no redemption. There is no deliverance. The cross is at the center of the good news. We need the cross in our lives. And it keeps our message simple, it keeps our message clear, and it keeps it consistent. That God loves you. God loves you. He was so willing to come and die on the cross. And yet we are so sinful and broken, we need him to die for us and reconcile us to God. we got to keep that gospel the same. You know, I think the cross might appear foolish or strange to the world, and so some of us, we get worried. You know, is this going to offend people? Is this going to be, is this going to turn people away? Uh, but no matter the opposition, we must faithfully pass on a cross-centered gospel. The gospel of our crucified Lord, friends, that's what has the power to change lives. That's what has the power. Look at Paul says, Romans 1.16, says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God to bring salvation to everyone who believes. It's the power of God, the cross of Christ. Three of the most successful evangelists in our country, D.L. Moody, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, they were known to preach a simple gospel about the cross of Christ, and they led thousands to Christ because of that, and they taught that people must put a personal trust in Jesus Christ for salvation. Now, we might use different methods today. We might use different mediums to reach a, a changing culture around us, and we should do that so that we don't end up not reaching people with the gospel. But we must keep the message the same. The message of Jesus Christ dying on the cross according to the scriptures for our sins, being raised on the third day according to the scriptures. In this message, friends, friends, it still has power to transform the lives of those who have heard it over and over again. It still has power to change your life, even if you've heard it before. I think there's, there's a big lie in our culture, and it's in the church as well, and it, sa and it says, well, because I've heard something before, I must not need to hear it again. And that is a lie that we have to deal with. Because the message of the cross, it's still the power of God for your transformation. It's still the power of God in your life to show you his love and show you his grace. And we need to keep hearing it throughout our Christian life and journey. The Christian life requires constant reminders. In fact, any lifestyle that you want to adopt is going to require constant attention and reminders. We have to keep learning and rehearsing the fundamentals. Michael Jordan. He still practiced free throws and layups his whole career. Tiger Woods, he's still out there practicing his chipping and his putting. Why? Because he has to keep rehearsing it. Christians, in the same way, have to keep rehearsing, to keep reminding themselves of the cross of Christ and what God has done for us, and keep practicing it over and over again because it is the power of God for salvation. It's the power of God. So we must keep the cross central to our message, and we must be a church formed by the cross. We must be a church formed by the cross. Brothers and sisters, the cross shows us the rhythm of how life works and how the body of Christ is supposed to work. This rhythm of that death somehow brings life to all. That suffering and sacrifice bring life to others. And so we must practice this rhythm in the church that by our own suffering, by our own sacrifice, by our own dying to ourselves, we bring life and healing to other people. The church must be an institution, a community, that dies to itself over and over again for the sake of others. William Temple said this, he says, The church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. We die to ourselves 
for the sake of those who don't know this good news. So churches must learn to be shaped by the cross, that for the joy set before us, that for the people who don't know Jesus, that we must die to our comfort. We must die to our security. We must die to our way of doing things. We must die to our own desires, to our own preferences, that others might have life and might see Jesus. We must and we should do that for those who are not yet here. That is what we must do. And we should also do it for our own brothers and sisters in the church. I've said this before. I'll say it again. We don't come to church for ourselves. We come for each other. We come to worship God. We come to serve other people. We come to, not to be served for ourselves, but rather to serve as Jesus did. And so even though we hope that you receive encouragement, comfort, and all of those things, we actually hope that you enter into serving and to model the life of the cross in the church. That you come here on a Sunday and throughout the week, yes, to die to yourself. That you might serve, that you might uh, offer your gifts of music, that you might hold a baby, that you might put your offering in the offering plate, that you might have an important conversation, that you might give a hug, that you might give a smile, that you might offer a prayer for a brother or sister. That you come here not to be served, but to serve, to model a life of the church on the cross. That teaches us how to be church. And when you do that, friends, I believe you will discover the rhythm of joy and peace. This, this rhythm of dying that others might find life. And churches that die to themselves, I believe, will find new life springing up all over the place in unexpected places. So we must be a church that's formed by the cross, but we also must be individuals. We must be disciples formed by the cross. I believe it's no accident that the cross became the central way of understanding what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Jesus said this in Luke 9.23. He said to them all, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. Following Jesus, then, is a deliberate choice to die to all of our sin, to kill it off, and follow Jesus daily instead. As the song that we sang earlier put it, Oh, the wonderful cross that bids me come and die, that I might come and die, but then truly live. Friends, that is how the rhythm of the cross becomes the shaping center of our Christian life. I love how Spurgeon put it. He said, there are no crown wearers in heaven that were not cross bearers here below. We need to be disciples formed by the cross. Final point of application, we must find ways to meditate on the cross. Find ways to meditate on this cross. You know, making the sign of the cross, it's an ancient Christian tradition that's been present for almost all of church history. And I think some people think uh, maybe it's a superstition or, or something like that that's not valuable anymore. Uh, maybe they think it's just a Catholic thing. Uh, but in fact, uh, truth be told, when Martin Luther was reforming his churches, he kept the sign of the cross in the church because he found it to be a valuable thing for Christians to do. Now, we're not bound by it, but if it's a value to you, I want you to feel free to make the sign of the cross. Maybe in your own life, in our church, wherever, if you feel that that is something. And for me, I grew up Catholic, and I don't really think I understood this till later, but everywhere we go, you're making the sign of the cross. I mean, it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Uh, so, you know, you enter the church, you enter your pew, you're making the sign of the cross everywhere you go. But what it did was it ingrained upon, it engraved upon my memory two important truths. That the cross was the center of my life and that the Trinity, the triune God was very important. Because you say the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And that, and that practice ingrained the cross and the Trinity in my life. And if that's a value to you, I just want to pass that on. 
Some people like to have visual reminders. Maybe it's a cross in your home. Uh, some people like to wear jewelry to remind them of the cross. Uh, but finding some way to think about the cross to make it the center of your life. Devotionals, books, all kinds of things. We must find ways to keep the cross at the center. And because of the cross, Jesus has died for us. He has saved us. We have redemption. We have healing. We have deliverance. We have all of these wonderful things through the cross of Christ. Isn't it worth it to keep it at the center? That's what we must do. We're going to go to corporate prayer this morning. And I'm going to be praying for us. And uh, let's just take a moment of silence to reflect. Let the Lord speak. And then we will pray and close in the Lord's Prayer. Oh, loving God, we thank you that through the message of the cross, we know your love, that we, have to be, we don't have to be in any doubt about your love for us, that you came down to lay down your life, to take upon our sins, our iniquities, our guilt and our shame, so that we might be reconciled to you. Lord, thank you for the gift of the cross, the gift of our salvation our redemption from sin, and our reconciliation with you. We thank you that through the cross we can even enter into this prayer, that we can come boldly before your throne, not in fear, but in confidence, because we know that we have your grace, we know that we have your mercy, we know that we have your love. And Father, it's because of that we come confessing our sins. We confess at times, Lord, that we, we have sinned against you greatly in thought, in word, in deed. Things that we have done and things that we have left undone. Oh Lord, forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all our iniquity that we might serve you in this life. And Lord, we come to your throne praying for the world, the world that you died on the cross to save because you love it so much. We pray for peace between nations. Lord, we pray that you would open up countries that are closed to the gospel that you would open them up and remove the barriers, Lord, that we might spread the message of the cross. God, we pray for those who are being persecuted right now for their faith in the cross of Christ, those who are being martyred. Lord, we ask that you would strengthen them, that you would give them boldness, that you would give them your comfort, your peace, and your presence, and that your church would rise up to help them. And Father, we pray that you would raise up more workers for the harvest all over the globe, but also right here in our nation, and in our community, God, raise up laborers for the harvest that is plentiful. Father, we pray for your church in the West. Lord, we confess that we have been declining and losing territory. We're not sure how to turn the tide. We're not sure how to make sure, you know, spread this message in a winsome way. 
We're not sure how to win people to Christ the way that we should. So Lord, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit. Revive us again. Turn the tide of the church in the West and use faith covenant, Lord. Use us to reach the next generation, to reach our community. Lord, that we might die to ourselves, that others might find new life in you. Oh Lord, let it be so. And Lord, we pray for those in authority in our country, our state, and our local communities as you command us to pray. We, we ask that you would grant them wisdom. We pray that you would open up more opportunities to share the gospel and to be the light of Christ. And we pray, Lord, that you would give us the boldness to seek the good of our neighborhoods and our communities in all of our actions and all that we do. And Lord, now we pray for our church, for Faith Covenant Church. Lord, we thank you for this body of believers, this family, this community. God, we pray for the covenant challenge and that as we read the gospels together, that you would transform us by this message. We believe, Lord, that your, your message, that your story is the power of God for salvation, but also, Lord, for our transformation. Transform us through your word. Father, as we gather over these next few weeks to talk about our, our bylaws and changes and all those kinds of things, Lord, we pray that you would help us to be most effective, Lord, in serving you and serving your kingdom. Father, we pray for our property task force who is at work looking at our building to help us align to our vision of focused outreach and renewed community. Lord, I pray that all that we would do would glorify and honor you and reach more people for Christ, Lord. That is the heart of what we want to accomplish. May it be so. And Father, I also want to pray for our tiger breakfast and that as it's growing, Lord, we ask that it would continue to grow and that you would send more students our way that they might feel and sense the love of Christ in this place. And Lord, as we start this partnership with I Have a Bean, Lord, we pray for their ministry as well. Lord, that you would continue to employ those who have come out of prison, who have a record and can't find a job, Lord. We pray that you would grow their ministry immensely, that you would bless their business, and that they would find ways, Lord, to increase their influence in our community, in our society, in our world, in Jesus' name. And Father, we pray for all those who need your healing touch, your comfort, and your peace. Lord, we continue to lift up Nancy Nyquist, Kathy Hill, and John Dinkle, Lord, who have been needing healing for some time. We just ask, Lord, that you would bring your healing touch, your comfort, and your presence to them. Lord, I also pray for all those who are going through difficulties at home, at the workplace, in their marriage, or they're facing challenges that feel too big for them. Lord, would you strengthen them? Would you comfort them? And would you give them the wisdom they need to navigate all that they are facing? Oh God, we thank you that we've been able to come to you and bring these prayers to you. And together we pray the prayer that your son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.